What's up, guys? Welcome back to another edition here of the Auburn Undercover Podcast on the 24-7 Sports Network. My name is Nathan King, riding solo here today. Going to hit you guys with a couple news updates, Auburn-related stuff from Saturday, recording this one um, early Sunday morning. Going to push it out for anybody that <clears throat> wasn't able to dive in uh, really extensively to the news yesterday. There were a couple. Um, obviously, Auburn basketball got a really big win, um, and then Auburn football officially announced um, it's offensive coordinator hire Mr. Austin Davis from the Seattle Seahawks, um, whom we reported last week um, was set to be the hire. Um, so there had been a week of momentum. Really, I mean, if this had if this had gone to Monday in terms of an official announcement, it would have been three weeks since they got rid of Mike Bobo, um, where they hadn't officially announced an offensive coordinator hire. But um, last week, it kind of became apparent that they were going to wait until after signing day because you'd already set up this recruiting momentum for yourself. And I know a lot of people said, you know, oh, you know, well, this guy's only going to do good things for you. Well, <clears throat> you had a, it, it made a lot more sense there in the end when tr- we started realizing what Trovon Reed was doing on the recruiting trail um, because Auburn was down an assistant coach. You're only allowed your 10 assistant coaches and the head coach to be on the road recruiting. And so if you're down an assistant coach, we, we saw this, um, uh, the, the name is blanking on me, but his director of uh, recruiting, Gus Malzahn's director of recruiting, I remember um, a couple times during his tenure when they were flipping between coaches in the offseason, did the same. But Trovon Reed, who's the coordinator of player relations, everyone knows who Trovon Reed is, um, went out on the recruiting trail, did a really good job. He and Zach Etheridge tag teamed a lot of these recruits. Um, Derek Mason was really big in there as well. Um, Keith earlier this week named Zach Etheridge his recruiter of the year. Um, for Auburn, at least for this early period, he went out and did a ton of work. Don't want that to get um, overshadowed and landing a couple of these. Uh, you know, they got three four-star defensive backs added to the class um, this week. But anyway, so it made a lot of sense as to why Austin Davis was not officially announced. And also, you, Pete Carroll talked about it earlier this week. Um, just kind of goes to show the transparency of, of professional leagues. But he was like, yeah, you know, he's talking to Auburn. They're working things out. We don't really know what the timeline is right now. Um, but uh, nothing's official yet. They're, they're talking through things and working things out. So um, I think it, it you know moved pretty quick. Um, if you're talking about a separation from an NFL team that's still got its season ongoing, I think that's pretty big for Auburn to be able to pull a guy like that um, away from a team that's in the middle of the season. And um, so now Auburn officially has its offensive coordinator on board. So who is Austin Davis? What do you need to know about him? And what could he bring to this Auburn offense moving forward? First of all, we have not had a chance to talk to Brian Harson since the hire was made official. We went to Birmingham on Thursday. Um, really enjoyed getting to see uh, Brian Harson in person. Not something we've been able to do a lot of because of Auburn's uh, COVID restrictions. Everything's been on Zoom, but we sat there in that media room, or excuse me, a ballroom um, with him. Had a lot of good conversation with him about um, where the quarterback room stands, You know what he wants in an offensive coordinator candidate. And looking back now, obviously we knew Austin Davis was the guy at the time. Um, but it made a lot more sense. It made a lot of sense if you look at some of the stuff that he said. And you guys can go back on AuburnUndercover.com, and, and we had that all covered. You guys can go read that. Um, you know, he, he said he wants somebody um, that's going to be able to record, re, excuse me, recruit the quarterback position at the highest level and make sure that is a priority in terms of development. So it makes a lot of sense given that we know now, or we knew then even, um, that Austin Davis was already in place. He had just not been officially hired. Uh, makes a lot of sense. And obviously the recruits, you know, we've told y'all the recruits have been sort of relaying that Brian Harson has been telling them that he is going to be calling the plays. He sort of danced around that, but, but did, but did sort of hit on those same notes Thursday saying he's going to be quote, a lot more involved in the offense this season. And so 
next time we speak to him, he'll probably be able to finally drop that official, you know, I will be calling plays um, next season, which makes a lot of sense because you look at a guy like Austin Davis does not have experience calling plays before. Um, and really is just a dedicated quarterbacks coach. He will have the title. He'll have the same title as Mike Bobo, offensive coordinator and, and quarterbacks coach. Um, but again, looking back and trying to read the tea leaves of Brian Harson's language, when he talked with us on Thursday, he mentioned Eric Keesaw as somebody who has experience running an offense as well. Um, so it sounds like maybe it'll be kind of a group effort between those three. Eric Keesaw, by the way, you know, those who don't know, he was he was Harson's offensive coordinator for a couple seasons at Boise State. So he's got experiences there. That's Auburn's wide receivers coach. So seems like between those three, in terms of formulating the offense on a week to week basis, it'll be between those guys. Um, Austin Davis, he's 32 years old. Um, he's only a couple, like three, three years removed from playing in the NFL. So um, he's a guy that Brian Harson knows he can bring in and just mold. Um, and hopefully, you know, for, for Harson's sake, he may be a guy that he thinks can sort of be tethered to him and his success at Auburn if they're able to develop some quarterbacks um, here this season, <clears throat> which will be very, very important now that Bo Nix is on his way out of the program. It'll be very important what they do with the quarterback position. He's, you know, if, if that is what you're looking at and, and sort of taking some time to, um, to bubble over on this hire and thinking about it, um, it really just seems like that was the number one goal for Brian Harson was to get a guy um, that could do good things with the quarterback room and him sort of looking at what happened that first season, sort of that year one or year zero, really kind of experiment with Mike Bobo and the offense and him calling plays. Um, it really was and talking to TJ Finley later in the week. Um, he said that, you know, we asked him how different is it now in bowl practices with Brian Harson being more involved. And he said, you know, he's been involved all season. He just wasn't calling the plays. So it does have a little bit different um, kind of a pulse to it with him calling the plays. Um, and so I think, you know, Brian Harson just kind of realized that, you know, he, he kind of wants that middleman out of the way um, and wants to have control of the offense, which is not a huge surprise. When you look at guys in the past, I know Gus Malzahn was ridiculed for it um, a few times, but if you've been an offensive play caller for a long time and an offensive coordinator, and that's how you've cut your teeth as a coach and you feel like things aren't, aren't going well after one year, not a huge surprise that he wants more control of the offense. And he's been a very successful play caller. Um, in the past. I'm interested to see how Auburn's plays look different this coming season. I do not think their playbook will look any different. Um, their designs, their formations, all that kind of stuff, their base scheme, it still is that kind of West Coast um, pro-style offense that's going to have a little bit of a spread element to it. But um, something interesting that TJ Finley said was that Brian Harson likes to go more tempo. Um, he said that that's the biggest difference. We asked him, what is the biggest difference between a Mike Bobo called Auburn offense in 2021 and a Brian Harson called Auburn offense. And he says, Brian Harson likes to go faster. Um, whereas maybe Mike Bobo were, was calling more substitutions there um, at the end of the season. Um, and so whether that's a good thing or a bad thing remains to be seen. We will see how, how different it looks in the bowl game um, against Houston. I don't expect to, to have a huge difference there to think, wow, this is a really different looking Auburn offense. You can look last season um, to when Gus Malzahn was out and they they played the bowl game um, without him and his influence on the offense really didn't look that different. And so, you know, it'll take an offseason worth of time to be able to for Harson to implement what he wants his play calling um, to look like. But anyway, circling back here, Austin Davis. Um, so he's a guy that started his career at Southern Miss. Um, some people might remember Auburn played them. Um, what's kind of cool, somebody pointed out to me is that uh, he played against, I believe it was the 2008 season, his freshman year. He's a four-year starter. Um, at Southern Miss, uh, had a little bit of an injury his sophomore year in 2009, but other than that was a four-year starter, threw for almost 11,000 yards um, at Southern Miss, 83 touchdowns, 27 
um, picks. He finished with a QBR of more than 130, and that was the best in Conference USA, actually, over that four-year um, span. He was a two-time all-conference player, his second team both times in Conference USA. And in 2008, he faced off against Zach Etheridge I mean, when Auburn. Um, I'm going I'm I'm to confirm that uh, real quick, but I know that he, I know that they did face off against each other. Um, I'm look it up real quick. This just, just goes to show uh, how prepared, how prepared I am for these podcasts, really just kind of trying to riff off the cuff here. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was, it was 2008. Okay, cool. Yeah. So that was, uh, that was them facing off against each other. Now they're on the same staff, going to be recruiting together. Um, and so went undrafted out of Southern Miss um, in 2012 and then became, I mean, really when you look at, uh, you know, the selection of backup quarterbacks you have in the NFL and how guys are kind of rated on their success. He was a pretty darn successful backup quarterback in the NFL. Um, started 10 games over the course of his NFL career, appeared in 16 games, th- ended up throwing 13 touchdowns to 12 picks, um, finished with more than 2,500 passing yards in the NFL, bounced around teams um, in terms of a team where he wasn't just a practice squad player, um, started his career with the Rams, went back to the Rams after a brief stint with the Dolphins as a practice squad player. Then with the Browns, the Broncos, the Seahawks, where he obviously ended up after the fact when he when he entered the coaching industry, and then he retired as a member of the Tennessee Titans um, in 2018 as their like third string quarterback. And so when he was with Russell Wilson, he actually played a few games um, in Seattle. He was he was Seattle's backup quarterback behind Russell Wilson, um, and Pete Carroll liked him so much and liked what he brought to the offense in terms of an intelligent young mind um, that he hired him once he got out of uh, once he retired from the NFL in 2018 and 2019. Um, he became the Seahawks assistant quarterback coach, um, kind of helping out in that room, helping out with Russell Wilson. And then in 2020, last season, um, he was promoted to full-time quarterback coach after only one year um, in the industry, after only one year as an assistant coach, um, an excuse, like not even an assistant coach, an assistant to the assistant um, in the NFL. He was the youngest full-time uh, assistant coach in the NFL when Pete Carroll promoted him. He was 31 years old. Now he's 32. So he has been the Seahawks quarterbacks coach for the last two seasons. Um, last year, um, I know I know Russell Wilson is a great quarterback um, in his own right, but look, Russell Wilson yesterday had some really good things to say about Austin Davis. We'll get into it. But last year, um, Russell Wilson earned his eighth Pro Bowl appearance, helped out by uh, by Davis in the quarterbacks room there, completed almost 69% of his passes, um, and he threw a career, career-high 40 touchdowns. Um, I'm going to read you this quote. Auburn did a, if, if, if you guys don't know uh, kind of the, the biology of a press release. Um, Auburn knocked it out of the park yesterday when they officially announced um, Austin Davis, when you can have quotes um, to kind of make it seem like there's, there's tons of high praise for this guy. If you can have quotes in there from his NFL head coach, his NFL quarterback, his former college head coach and his former college offensive coordinator, um, you're doing a lot of things, right? Um, But the biggest one obviously was a guy like Russell Wilson. He also got some high praise from Pete Carroll in there, but uh, Russell Wilson said, quote, I think Austin is going to be a brilliant offensive coordinator and potential head coach one day. He has passion for the game, number one. Number two, he's got an understanding of the game as he's played the position at the highest level in the NFL. And three, he's an amazing teacher. He's an amazing teacher of the game. He keeps it simple in terms of relaxing the quarterback's mind. That was a big one that stood out to me. Uh, he'll be an amazing coach at Auburn, end quote. And so, you know, not, not definitely not a small thing uh, to be able to have those words of encouragement and praise from a guy like Russell Wilson, who's a future Hall of Famer um, in the NFL. And uh, this isn't the first time he's sort of attributed um, a lot of his success to Austin Davis. I know that, you know, you want to be cordial and you want to thank your position coach, but um, really Austin Davis was a very highly thought of um, coach in the NFL and one of the one of the most uh, renowned young up and coming coaches 
in the NFL. And so when you're looking at you know a situation where jumping to the college game, um, I think a lot of people, including myself, are sort of pointing to, you know, people are talking about he doesn't have you know, any college experience in terms of a coach. Well, you point to a guy like Nick Eason, um, who did a really good job with that defensive line. Auburn's defensive line was fantastic this season. Uh, Colby Wooden could have been an All-SEC player. Derek Hall was an All-SEC player. T.D. Moultrie had the best season of his career. Tony Fair, I thought, was utilized really well. I mean, they had, they had a great season. Um, and Nick Eason is doing a good job on the recruiting trail. Every time we talk to a recruit um, that was being recruited by him, that NFL um, sort of cachet from his past came up. And so when you're looking at this situation um, with a guy like Austin Davis, especially the quarterback position, um, having NFL experience, especially with a guy like Russell Wilson, is not a very small thing um, and is so recent that he played in the NFL. And that was the biggest thing that stood out to me about what Russell Wilson said about Austin Davis is sort of his understanding of the position and his ability to simplify it because every quarterback you talk to um, that's, that's the best quarterbacks, the ones that are able to kind of take things as they come, be very simplified, understand the playbook um, and their, and their offense to a point where things just seem really simple. And they're just kind of not going through the motions, um, but they're very comfortable in the offense so that anytime they can kind of pop off some bigger plays, that's the things that stand out and then play to play. They're very, very comfortable. Um, That's how you're a successful quarterback. And boy, I mean, you look at Austin Davis's career, um, as a QB, very successful <laughs> four-year starter at the college level. Um, one of the most prolific passers in the conference, one of the most prolific passers in the country um, over his four seasons. I mean, 11,000 yards and, and 80, 83 touchdowns. Um, it's nothing, nothing, nothing to snuff at. And then like we talked about before, he was a very successful backup quarterback. Um, if you look at what guys do in the NFL and, and how you sort of rate success as a backup. And so Similar to Nick Eason, Nick Eason wasn't super far removed when he got hired um, as Auburn's defensive line coach last year. Not super far removed from his playing career, a little bit farther, um, but he was the same way. You know, he was an assistant coach um, with the Bengals. And so now you have two, you know, very, very former, very recent, excuse me, um, NFL coaches on the staff now on the assistant staff. And so for Brian Harson, we know that the name of the game was recruiting and developing the quarterback position. Um, so seems like we maybe have a little bit better of a sense right now of what this offense is going to look like in terms of a hierarchy heading into the season. Um, there was a little bit of, he said, she said with Bobo and Harson, where it's like, you know, he was calling, he was calling Brian Harson's plays and we'll see what kind of a role Austin Davis has in that. Again, having the offensive coordinator tag on you, um, it's not a small thing. Brian Harson certain, you know, certainly thinks that he's capable of coming in and taking on a bigger role than he had with the court with the Seahawks, where he was just focusing on quarterbacks. But make no mistake, that will be his number one thing. It seems like kind of we understand now that Brian Harson is at the top of the food chain in terms of the offense. It is his offense. He's going to call the plays. Um, but maybe everyone else is going to kind of put their heads together. Maybe a little bit more responsibility is on a guy like Austin Davis to to help out in that regard. But at the end of the day, his number one responsibility. Um, is quarterback. Speaking of that quarterback room, um, it's an interesting one right now. I, I still maintain that going into the spring, we'll see how it cuts down. You know, we saw the last time they had a for real quarterback battle. It was three players. It was Nick Gatewood and, and Malik Willis. Malik Willis got shaved off um, after spring practice, and it was just two QBs going into fall camp. I think in spring ball, if they're able to bring in a transfer before spring practices, which I say that because they're looking at transfers. Um, they were looking hard at Keaton Slovis. We'll see how that develops the, the USC three-year starter from USC. Um, Cameron Ward, who is widely regarded as the best quarterback um, on the market. The, the transfer from, in, from Incarnate Word just had a phenomenal year. Last year, one of the most dynamic um, and productive QBs in the country. Just phenomenal athlete. Uh, so they're definitely poking around and looking at guys. So um, we know now that that's kind of on their radar and that's kind of on their to-do list is to grab another quarterback 
from the transfer portal. So my prediction is that it'll be a four-man race um, in the spring with really nobody will have a huge advantage unless Auburn is able to go out there and get one of the just you know top flight quarterbacks on the market. Um, nobody's going to have a huge advantage over anybody else. TJ Finley will have eight games of starting experience um, when he comes back, started five games at LSU last year. Um, he'll make his third start in the Birmingham Bowl. He's expected to be healthy, by the way. He said this week, um, maybe he won't be 100%, but he feels a lot better than he did, and he can move around a lot better than he did a couple or a month ago now um, in the Birmingham, or excuse me, in the Iron Bowl. Um, then you've got Demetrius Davis, who has not played, did not play at all his freshman year, but TJ Finley did confirm what Brian Harson said a few days ago. Brian Harson did not specify what kind of reps D Davis was getting. He just said he was getting more. TJ Finley said, yeah, he's getting second team reps in bowl practices right now, meaning he has surpassed Grant Loy um, as Auburn's backup quarterback at the moment. We'll see if that leads to any playing time for him in the bowl game, but certainly um, he's making a little bit of progress here at the end of the season. So that's encouraging for a guy like him to have a chance in the quarterback battle in the spring. Holden Gurner is a guy that's going to be an early enrollee in the spring, four-star quarterback, number 19 QB in the country, six foot three, two fifteen, out of Georgia. Um, he was one of Auburn's favorite prospects in this class. If you guys listen to the most recent podcast with Keith covering the recruiting, uh, the signing day this week, Keith loves this guy. He thinks he has all the intangibles and the tangibles um, to be a really successful quarterback. Thinks he might be, um, I don't know, you know, the steal of the class is kind of a, a cliche, but he certainly thinks he has all the it factors um, that you need as a QB. And that's three guys. And then you think maybe you'll add a fourth. So um, Brian Harson bringing in a guy in Austin Davis who's going to be able to help in a big way to break down that quarterback battle and pick a successful passer um, to lead the Tigers offense in 2022. Because like we've talked about before, and I've written several times, um, this is going to hinge a lot on Brian Harson's success, not only in a second season at Auburn, but you're thinking if this season doesn't go super well, um, he's going to be on a tight leash. And so, you know, the quarterback position is going to play a big part in that. Um, and so certainly this is something I think Brian Harson looking ahead and being intelligent about things thinking this is not something I, me- I can mess up. I have to make sure the best quarterback that we have is playing next season and we put him in the best position to be successful. Why not bring in one of the best you know, guy was working with a, with a future Hall of Famer and one of the best up and coming QB coaches in the country. And Brian Harson obviously knows his quarterbacks. That's what he said on Thursday as well. He's like, I'll, I'll be there. Like I, I know how to work with quarterbacks. Um, so it'll be interesting to see their dynamic. Uh, I'm excited to get around a spring practice here in a few months and see how those two interact, um, how those two work with the room. But I think, I mean, Philip Marshall wrote it um, earlier this week and I, I agreed with him. He said, you know, it's, it's an inspired hire um, for Auburn. It's an intriguing hire. It's out of the box. Um, I know a lot of people were kind of uh, you know, turned off a little bit by, by what some consider to be a bland hire with Mike Bobo. Um, I don't think hiring a veteran coach like that is ever necessarily a bad thing. It, it did turn out to be not so great. Um, especially in the second half of the season, things started to go downhill for Auburn on offense. They were petering out at the end of games, but this is a hire that's outside of the box. Um, as somebody, again, that doesn't have any college coaching experience, um, but we know that he has a phenomenal talent in terms of working with and developing quarterbacks on the NFL level. So it seems like that will obviously uh, should translate to the college level as well. So that's Austin Davis, in case anyone missed that becoming official yesterday. I wanted to break that down a little bit. We're going to take a quick break and then we'll get to Auburn basketball's big road win in non-conference play. Only got one game left in non-conference play until we hit the SEC. You're listening to the Auburn Undercover Podcast. 
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. All right, so a huge win for Auburn late Saturday night. If you stayed up um, for the 8 p.m. Central tip and were able to make it all the way through the game, kudos to you because Auburn had a phenomenal, phenomenal comeback. Um, Really seemed like this one was iced away. This was the most difficult setting of the season for Auburn. St. Louis um, is a pretty good team. They were 8-3 and entering the game. Um, They were number 71 in the net rankings entering the game, um, which what that means is, in terms of Auburn's NCAA tournament resume, a road game, which is the most difficult setting on a resume, a true road game against a team that is number one through number 75 in the net rankings, which is the NCAA's official tournament rankings. That is viewed as a quadrant one game, which is the highest possible uh, game you could play for your resume. Really not a big deal if you lose those games because they're viewed as being very difficult. But if you win them, that's really big for your resume. Auburn obviously won that game. They are now two and one in quadrant one games this season. Uh, Loyola Chicago is like 16th in the net rankings. Um, they, you know, they think very highly of that team, and Auburn was able to beat them in the Bahamas. Auburn will likely go into SEC play with a couple quad one wins. We'll see if St. Louis falls out of the top 75 after this game. Anyway, beyond that, how this one go down. Um, Auburn started out pretty cold, um, missed 12 of their first 15 shots. It really kind of resembled um, those games that we've seen in the past. I, like I remember specifically like a game like Florida a couple years ago. I don't know if you remember that game. Florida wore like those black jerseys. It was the game where like there's just a lid on the basket, even like layups. Auburn just couldn't get them to go. Couldn't get any fouls called their way. It was really physical down low. Um, and St. Louis was just winning that part of the game. Um, and when Auburn's three-pointers weren't going, they weren't getting anything to go on the inside and they weren't able to defend on the inside. Uh, St. Louis just absolutely dominated um, points in the paint. St. Louis scored 27 points in the first half and 22 of them. Um, came in the paint. They out-rebounded Auburn. Biggest rebounding deficit of the season for Auburn. Even though Auburn came away with the win, uh, St. Louis was, let's see here, they were plus 19 on the boards. Out-rebounded Auburn 46 to 27. Uh, St. Louis had 19 offense, 19 offensive rebounds. Um, Bruce Pearl said after the game, it was unacceptable. He said it was the most disappointing part of the game. By far, it's one of the most disappointing aspects of the season in terms of something that's happened in the game was Auburn's inability to rebound 19 offensive rebounds is the most allowed. Obviously that's probably goes without saying by Auburn um, this season. And so despite Auburn's length with a guy like Walker Kessler on the inside, who, who had the best game for Auburn led, led Auburn 19 points, nine boards and four blocks, another really productive evening for him, but Auburn just wasn't able to keep St. Louis out of the paint, but they did kind of get their groove going. Um, once they started to figure stuff out in the half court, Wendell Green Jr. was a big part of that. Obviously, he's coming off of the bench. Um, but when Zepp Jasper and Katie Johnson aren't super productive, um, which Katie Johnson hit a big shot at the end, but he was still three of 10 on the game. Zepp Jasper only had five points and one assist. So not a ton of production from those guys. If you're talking about in the grand scheme of things, Wendell Green Jr. came in. He ran the offense a little bit better. Um, Auburn picked things up after that start. So they missed 12 of their first 15 shots. The rest of the way in the first half, they shot 70% from the floor. Um, so once they were kind of able to get out of that funk after the first like seven minutes of the of the game, um, they took things halftime in, in, a, in a good way. Um, a quick 7-0 spurt 
um, which Katie Johnson hit a three-pointer a couple minutes for the half. That was his first three-pointer in three games. He was previously 0 of 9, um, so he's only made one of his last 10 attempts. That was a big, big shot for him. Um, that sort of sparked. That was the highlight of a 7-0 run for Auburn heading into halftime. So they had a pretty good lead, almost almost double digits, 35 to 27 at the break. And then things went downhill very quickly out of the half. It was the same way Auburn came out of the game. Um, when they came out of the locker room the first time, they came out of it again at halftime and just could not get a shot to go. Missed their first six shots in the second half. Um, and meanwhile, St. Louis on the other end, starting to gain momentum, starting to make some shots, that home crowd. Um, both Auburn players and Bruce Pearl talked about um, the environment, it really felt like an SEC environment. St. Louis is a big basketball school. Um, and even though it was Christmas break, there were a ton of students there. Um, it was a chippy game, um, not in a bad way, but just um, a lot of emotion. Players were really fighting in this game. And so that momentum started to grow and grow and grow. Um, and eventually it sort of peaked with uh, St. Louis making its first three-pointer of the game. They missed, they missed their first nine shots from downtown. Obviously, like we talked about, they were they were dominating the paint. Missed their first nine shots from downtown when they made their first one. Um, they made, then they, they then made back to back because they were kind of riding that momentum ended up going up by as many as 13 points as Auburn just wasn't able to stop the bleeding. And then their offense really just wasn't able to pick things up very much on the other end, sort of the same thing we talked about kind of lit on the basket, not able to get good looks to go. So St. Louis goes up 13. Um, Bruce Pearl did not use a timeout hat like he has all season. Um, there was a great shot of him. Um, I think Auburn was down. I think it was after the three-pointer, the first three-pointer, put St. Louis up by like 10. There was a great shot of him in the background, just sort of clapping the team along. Not, not. I, I was looking at his hands, and I thought he was maybe gesturing a timeout um, like they've done all season, going to let their guys play through it. Um, and Auburn did just that, and they came back in a phenomenal, phenomenal fashion. This is exactly the kind of win um, you want to see from your team when your back is against the wall. The way Bruce Pearl described it, he, he in the final few minutes of the game, St. Louis was up by 13 um, with like eight minutes to go. Bruce Pearl said, you know, we're going to figure out who's got the stones um, to help us come back, who, who, who's got the ability um, to make plays in crunch time. He was like, I wanted to see that. I wanted to, to see that from my team. I wanted to see who has the ability um, to do that. And it was almost across the board um, that Auburn stepped up. You had Wendell Green Jr. sort of running the offense. Um, it was like a high pick and roll with Walker Kessler led to three dunks, three easy dunks down the stretch, just high pick and roll um, that St. Louis wasn't able to stop. Bruce Pearl actually said it was the same set. I'm trying to think it was from two years ago. They played, I was at that game. They played St. Louis in Birmingham uh, at the, the Mike's live invitational. They won that game. Um, so I, I guess that would have been Jared and no, maybe, maybe Jared was gone from that team. Um, so maybe J, maybe it was Javon McCormick. Um, running, yeah, I think it was Javon McCormick running that offense. I think I remember him having a big game against St. Louis, but he said it's the same set. Um, so it's obviously same coach for St. Louis, same, same kind of defense they're playing. Um, he said he's mad at himself for not running it earlier, but that high pick and roll with Wendell Green Jr. and Walker Kessler just could not be stopped. Wendell Green was making great passes all over the place. Um, Jabari Smith had a corner triple um, with five minutes left. It sort of sparked a run. Auburn went on a 7-0 run um, to start to even out the or to start to cut into the deficit. A little bit, and then Leor Berman, the walk-on uh, wing player who's had more playing time, obviously, because Alan Flanagan um, is still working his way back from the injury, hit a huge three-pointer um, to put Auburn up 70-67 to 67 with like a minute and a half left in the game. Jabari Smith had another triple. Um, he was left open again. Obviously, he's a dead-eye three-point shooter. He was left open again. He went three of five from downtown for the game. Wendell Green Jr. went three of six. He had a big three-pointer in the second half. Um, as well. So three big triples down the stretch for Auburn. 
And then Katie Johnson with nine seconds left made a driving layup, really, really high degree of difficulty, uh, made a big shot to put Auburn up. On the other end, St. Louis missed both free throws. Um, they got fouled, went to the line. Um, it's Francis Okoro. It's obviously a familiar name for Auburn, but Francis Okoro for, uh, for St. Louis missed the first shot, obviously unintentionally meant to make it, and then went to intentionally miss the second one. Um, but they were called a lane violation. He stepped in too fast, tried to get his own rebound. Auburn inbounded the ball. Wendell Green went to the line, just ice cold, buried both free throws. If he had missed just one, St. Louis would have had an opportunity, you know, um, for a half court heave or something like that. But obviously put the game completely out of reach, 74 to 70. So really, really big comeback win for Auburn. They finished the game making eight out of their last 10 shots, um, made their final three shots down the stretch and they went six of seven on their final seven attempts from the free throw line. And like we talked about, this was the biggest thing that stuck out to me. Like we talked about earlier, St. Louis having that advantage um, in the paint all game long, which is dominating Auburn um, in terms of points on the inside, especially on offense. Um, They only had one basket, two points, one basket in the paint in the final 10 minutes of the game. And I asked Walker Kessler about, you know, what, what changed? And he said, look, we, we were capable of that all game long. Um, we know Auburn's capable of playing good defense. And he said, yeah, we, it was just sort of a mentality thing. We all had to make sure we were on the same page. Um, and once we did, we figured things out on defense. And, and like we've talked about all season long, defense leads to offense for this team. Um, and this team's never going to be out of a game. Um, I know, you know 13 points with eight minutes left isn't the biggest deficit you're ever going to see, but it's pretty big, especially when you're playing in a true road game, easily your most difficult environment um, of the season. This is only the second true road game Auburn's played this year. The other one was against USF, which USF gave them a lot of trouble. Um, but USF's not a very good team. And so Auburn was able to pull off a really big win here on the road um, to move to 10 and one on the season. It's the third time under Bruce Pearl that Auburn is going to have double digit wins heading into Christmas. Um, the other times was that 2017-18 season where they end up going to the final four or excuse me, the 2018-19 season, they end up going to the final four. They started that year. Um, remember, they, their only loss was like to Duke in their first like 15 games or something. And then a couple years ago where they started, you know, what, 18 and 0. Um, you know, a few games and they, their first loss of the season was like on the road at Alabama when they were ranked like number four in the country or something like that. So another successful start to the season, they come home and play Murray state on Wednesday that will close out non-conference play. If Bruce Pearl can get a win there. Um, and by the way, you know, of course this was Bruce Pearl's first game back um, after a two game suspension. Um, if you can get a win there, if Auburn can get a win, close out non-conference play 11 and one heading into what is by the way, a really big sec opener. Um, at home against LSU. That's the day after the Birmingham Bowl inside Auburn Arena. LSU is one of the best two, three, four teams in the conference. Auburn is viewed as that as well. Um, so that's a huge game to kick off SEC play. 11-1 and one in your non-conference schedule. When Bruce Pearl called this one of his most ambitious non-conference schedules he's ever set up um, at Auburn, this was their biggest win of the season so far, um, he said. That, uh, their most difficult win um, because of the environment, because of the way they had to come back. If you can do that, you can go 11-1. and one and your only loss is in double overtime um, to a really good UConn team in a game where your, your, your team was still kind of figuring things out. We sort of saw Jabari Smith grow up in a big way in that game. That is a huge, huge success. So another 2-0 and week for Auburn. Obviously, they got a win earlier in the week um, against UNA. Another 2-0 and week. Auburn has now won seven straight games since that loss. They are going to probably inch closer to the top 10 this week in the AP poll. Not that any of that matters, but they're number 13 right now. Um, they're going to they're gonna punch up to that uh, to that top 10 spot or t- to the top 10, trying to break into that before SEC play starts. So another successful game, another really big win for Auburn here in the non-conference portion 
of the season. And so I'm just so excited. I know everybody is. Um, the SEC is so deep and talented this year. Um, we know that it's been the way for, that way for the past few years, but there are several NCAA tournament teams um, in the league. And so Auburn really, you know, you're looking at, they have an opportunity obviously to go back to the tournament this year. Everyone's really excited about that. If you're an Auburn fan after kind of the disappointment of last year, um, you're looking at this and this is a huge, it's a huge win. Um, if you're going to be able to finish non-conference, but even if they drop one to Murray state on Wednesday, which obviously they'll be favored. Murray state's a pretty good team, but Auburn playing well at home, of course. Um, if you can get out of this non-conference schedule with only one loss and you're heading into SEC play, that is a huge bolster for your resume. Because I mean, if you're being honest, I know people are going to want Auburn to achieve highly. If Auburn goes into SEC play 11 and one, and then is like the only like the six or seven seed in the SEC, that's a tournament team. Like if you go 500 in the SEC after this kind of a non-conference resume and you look pretty good doing it, and you've got a guy like Jabari Smith, who's an NBA player, um, you're going to, you're going to be an NCAA tournament team. Um, and so Auburn really has an opportunity here if they finish, you know, in the top two, three, four, five of the league, um, heading into the NCAA tournament this year, or excuse me, the SEC tournament, they have a really, really good opportunity, um, to put themselves in a good place in terms of seating. And so great win for Auburn moving forward, um, SEC play about to ramp up. So we are really excited, um, to continue to cover that for you guys. It's going to be a really exciting season. And just the biggest thing still is that, you know, this team is still learning. Um, it's still a team that's learning how to play together. I mean, this is still something you're trying to figure out the lineups. Will Wendell Green Jr. come back into the starting lineup? KD Johnson um, was really, really good at the start of the season. He's kind of struggled down, down the last few games. He had 11 points this game. He obviously had that big shot there at the end. His defensive intensity is still what you want. Um, but, you know, it's just Auburn's going to try to figure out these lineups as they're moving forward. And you get Alan Flanagan back. Somehow that's something I... <laughs> Somehow that's something I still haven't talked about. And you get Alan Flanagan back um, pretty soon. Something significant that Bruce Pearl said about Flanagan is that if this was an NCAA tournament game, like if or he didn't even say that, he said if this was March. So either any sort of postseason game, if you're playing in an SC tournament or the NCAA tournament, if, if this St. Louis game had been in March, Alan Flanagan would have played, meaning he is very, very close. And maybe you could work him in um, a few minutes against Murray State before SEC play begins. I would be shocked if he's not ready for SEC play against LSU, which is huge for Auburn to be able to get that kind of boost. I know some people are worried about him kind of messing up their rotation, what they've got right now. Auburn's obviously got great chemistry. Um, but like I said, they're, they're still learning. This is still a team that doesn't have a lot of experience together. Um, most of the lineups that they are running out there, I would uh, maybe all of the lineups, because I doubt there's a lineup that doesn't have a newcomer in it that Auburn's run at some point in the season. They've, they've never played together before this season. And so, you know, putting in a guy like Alan Flanagan, that's something I asked Bruce Pearl about last week. He was like, I mean, it's not really a big deal. He really didn't make a big deal out of it. He's like, you just kind of put the guy in there and you let everybody figure it out. Like if you stress about it too much and you worry about it too much, then you're in a situation where that's what you're focusing on as opposed to preparing the rest of the team. You're focusing on one guy. So um, I would not be surprised to see Alan Flanagan make eight, nine minutes against Murray State, something like that. And I say that because uh, shout out to Will McLaughlin, who works for College and Mag. Um, he was there at the game, took a video of Alan Flanagan shooting in pregame warmups. Um, he was out there and Bruce Pearl said he returned to contact this week. A couple of days ago said he's practicing with contact for the first time said that he's really, really close to returning. And then he makes the trip and is out there shooting with everybody else, really looking the same as everybody else in warmups. Um, I think he's really close to returning. Would not be surprised if he plays Wednesday. If he doesn't play Wednesday, I would almost guarantee that he's going to be back for sec play. So exciting stuff. Like I said, exciting stuff moving forward for our basketball. We are going to have it all covered for you guys. Um, hope you guys enjoyed this podcast. Just wanted to get on here and, talk about the big stuff that went down yesterday in terms of Auburn football and basketball. Um, be sure to be on the lookout if you guys are listening to this on Sunday morning for Jeffrey Imbaugh, uh, the number one Juco player in the country, uh, defensive tackle 
is going to be committing. We think he is Auburn bound. That would help out Brian Harson's class even further, probably solidify them as a top 15 class, which, wow, huge, huge rise for them um, over the past week with how the way they finished here on the recruiting trail. So be sure to keep it locked, you guys. AuburnUndercover.com. We're going to have all you guys uh, covered from top to bottom with football and basketball. If you guys enjoyed the show, please leave us a five-star review. That is the number one thing that helps us out above all else. You guys can do that on any app of your choice where you guys listen to your podcast, the intro and outro music. As always, my good friend Beats by Mordecai. You guys can find him on Twitter, SoundCloud, and Instagram if you like his uh, stuff here on the podcast. You can go check out the rest of his beats that he makes. Um, maybe shoot him a message if you need one at any point. That's what I did. I just needed a beat for the podcast and, and I picked out something I liked and uh, he was able to get it for me for a pretty fair price. And so um, be sure to check that out. That's something you guys are interested in until the next episode. Uh, I will see you guys later. Everybody have a great start. To the week.